0: Blanche and Bill, our host, and all the folks who uh, really made us feel welcome here. I really appreciate it. Uh, You look around this room and you realize these things just don't happen. You know, somebody is out there making it happen, and these are the people that are going to all these little bozo meetings and uh, putting it together. I I always reflect on my, I belong. It's amazing to me how without anybody really planning it, The slogan for most of these things always have 12 letters. You know, a way of living. And the one I was at last week was keep it simple and back to basics, heart to heart. They all have 12 letters. And I guess because after you hear a while, coincidentally, what happens is you realize that AA works simply because instead of dealing with the disease and the effects of the disease, we deal with the patient and the cause of the disease. You know, and we get on with, the patient's the most important thing, and once you get on and you kind of work with the patient, everything else kind of takes care of itself. I saw a great bumper sticker the other day in San Diego. San Diego has great bumper stickers. And this one said, which way did they go? Could be AA, huh? And then it said, how fast are they moving? And then it said, how many are there? And then underneath it said, I must find them. I am their leader, you know? <laughs> and that's the way I was always coming at life from behind trying to get out front. And uh, I was like the slowest horse at Aqueduct, you know, I just never seemed to catch up with the pack. And. Uh, I come from a family where we're divided into two groups, either you're in AA or you need it. So that's all I know about. Uh, I'm the youngest of seven and uh, my mom never drank and my dad died, started drinking when he was 44 and by the time he was 50, he was dead. And I've lost some brothers and sisters to this thing. In fact, in uh, Christmas of 85, I had a sister die after having cirrhosis of the liver. She died weighing about 60-some pounds, and we buried her, and a week later, we buried my brother. He died New Year's Day. And so I understand the seriousness of the disease, but I am really into that happy, joyous, and free stuff. I was born and raised in a little town, very much like Waikiki, called Brooklyn, and... uh you can always tell when you look out and, and see people who learn to swim in the East River or or the Hudson River, because we still come out of the water like this,
1: you know.
0: Like. <laughs> and the people here swim so elegantly, you know. Like, and I was I was I had a chance to go on the catamaran the other day, and we went out off the shore. We went swimming, and I looked back, and you could see the hotel and the sand and the, and just everything that. All the essence, as they say in California, the essence. I want to see if Bill approves of that essence. Okay. Yeah. But the deal was, as we were looking at the essence, and I and I was, it was passing through my mind. This doesn't look very much like Coney Island, you know. <laughs> you know, there was no big things floating around or in the water. Or, <laughs> I was uh, brought up, uh, I was, I'm Irish, and I was brought up in an Italian neighborhood, and everybody in my neighborhood who had money was called Don, respectively, you know? And it was one of those neighborhoods, you say, how far is it to the subway? We go, we don't know, no one's ever made it, you know, like, uh, <laughs> 85% of the suicides in Brooklyn are assisted, uh, you know, that's just the way it is, so people would say things like, hey, he fell asleep in the trunk of a car he deserved to be shot, you know, that's (laughs) a... they tell a story about a guy went out looking for one honest man, this guy Diogenes, and he came to Brooklyn they stole his lamp. You know, that's the way it was. But that was the neighborhood we grew up in, and it seemed like everybody did a little bit of drinking. And... uh... I I want to tell you up front so there's no confusing, I got through school totally unscarred by education. (laughs) So if you're looking for heavy stuff, you might as well doze off now, you know. I got sober with guys, you say, there's a dead bird, they all look up like, (laughs) My home group they say how long are you sober? We go. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to some buddies of mine back east and they told me they rented the movie The King and I were upset because Elvis wasn't in it. <laughs>
1: And you know, thank God
0: you don't need a lot of smarts to get sober here. In fact, uh, somebody was pointing out today, the fellow who was teaching us his song, uh, that you, you, you don't really need a whole lot of smarts. In fact, a lot of folks who have so much intelligence can't get sober because they read the big book, which good meetings have one right there. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> but they, they, they read the big book and they read in there stuff that nobody ever put in there, you know. It's just the way it is. I was talking to a fellow the other day. Oh, while wow, we're doing the countdown. How many people, raise your hand, have less than a year? Let's see the hands of everyone who has less than a year. Okay, now, later on, when you guys get into this book and the program, they're going to talk about the promises. And they're going to tell you all about these great promises that have after you do a whole lot of stuff to get it. But I'm going to tell you about the early bird promises that come to people in the first year, that you don't have to do a whole lot except not drink. And that is you will continually know what city, state, and country you're in, you know? <laughs> you will answer the door with reckless abandon, you know? Like a, yeah. <laughs> you will pick up the phone, you know? And not right away, but later on, somewhere in the first year, it usually happens, you will have a solid bowel movement. Uh, now... <laughs> Some people think that's their first spiritual experience, you know. <laughs>
1: honey, honey, come look. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and if she's Alan, anon she'll go, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I looked at your, at your little logo there, Way of Living, and you know, I'm the kind of person that I believe that if you're going to be successful in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have got to learn to be a verb, you know. This is not about nouns, you know, nouns sitting around, you know, trying to figure out who to blame it all on. I'm a noun, you know. I like the verbs, the guys that go to meetings, they pick up other bozos and take them to meetings, and and they're involved in the program, and no matter what's going on, you see the same faces. You know, these guys are always there, they're always involved, they're always doing. And you know what? They get to stay sober. You know. Then you watch other folks who are trying to figure out who to blame it on. It's like watching somebody milk a mouth, you know?
1: Well, it's their fault,
0: <laughs> and most of, the, most of the people in that play have been dead several years, <laughs> and they're still trying to figure out who to blame it on. I just know that when I drank, I got drunk. It didn't seem like my mom played a big role in that, you know what I mean? That's <laughs> <laughs> In fact, the big question in California now is, if you, if you have sex with an adult child, are you contributing to the delinquency of a minor? <laughs> but I like verbs. I like people who are out there doing things. I, uh, my kids got me a t-shirt, and on the front it says, be a verb, and on the back it has the second thing I li- like. It says, leap before you look. You know, while you're sitting around trying to figure it out, you could have tried it a hundred times. I, I got sober in New York, and uh, it was July of 1970, and I came in on uh, July 5th, and I had spent July 4th, I had fallen off a pier down in Wildwood, New Jersey, and I had kept from washing out to sea because my leg got caught between two pilings. And I woke up in the morning with my friends looking for me and I had no shirt or or jacket on, which I had started the evening with. I only had one shoe and I had sand crabs crawling all over me. Real bad case of the crabs. And I had an intuitive thought that maybe social drinking was coming to an end. And I remember going to my first AA meeting. And as I walked in, they used to have greeters at the door then, and you never got in unless somebody met you at the door, and they would ask you your name. And they would ask you if you'd ever been to that meeting before. And in this particular case, they sort of knew I was a newcomer. Everybody else was kind of dressed in shorts and shirts, light summer shirts. It was muggy in New York, and and I had on a blue wool suit. And I had on a shirt and tie, because I thought you guys voted on whether or not I could stay. And uh, I wanted to make a good impression. And when I came in, they asked me my name, which I knew right away. So I said Ken, because it was on my license. And, uh, and they gave me a little red tag that said Ken on it. And I said, come down front, because that's where the miracle takes for the place. And there was a fellow there and he said i'm going to be your temporary sponsor and i celebrated 21 years in july and he's still my temporary sponsor (laughs) i don't know if it's going to work you know uh, but he looks like he needs the job you know and, and somebody asked me recently to describe what sponsorship means to me because sometimes, in fact, New York is talking about this being the year of the sponsor. And the deal is that my sponsor to me was the way I look at this thing today through my experience in my eyes is the fact that the spiritual light in me had gone out. It had just gone out. I was doing things that I didn't really want to do. I was doing things without any real great thought about doing. I would be right, I know, I had that kind of a mind. I could be right in the middle of a bad idea and get a worse one, you know? (laughs) I thought stuff that was funny that no one else thought funny. You know, I used to pull up to the the toll booth at rush hour at the Holland Lincoln Tunnel and say, uh, I'll have a large fry, (laughs) a milkshake and a hamburger. And the guy from the Port Authority would say, we don't have any food here. And i say, you better get some. The line's really backing up. You know, like, you know. And you guys enjoy that, but they didn't, you know. So I felt that the spiritual can, that my spiritual light had gone out. The candle inside of me that I call my spiritual light had gone out. And my sponsor came, as I see it today, with his candle, which was lit and from his candle he lit my candle and once he lit my candle it was my light it was my light it was incumbent upon me to keep it glowing and to keep it lit his job was just to light it and help me get it going it wasn't to take over my light it wasn't to be my light it was just to give me light And he used to say, if we keep our lights lit, the path will be well lit and people don't stumble in the dark, you know. And so I I used to just look at him because he was a plumber and he knew so much more than I ever knew about living. He had a family and he had kids and they all hung out together, you know. Uh, I was like one of these uh, periodic drinkers. I would periodically go home and I would periodically go to jail and, you know, I would periodically show up for work. And... uh, that's not very kind. <laughs> and so he, he got this thing going. And he would bring me to meetings and encourage me to meet him at meetings. And, and we started this process of getting well. And then he, he, he said to me about going out with him on 12-step calls. They call them now. But at that time, they used to say in the city, because it's where we live, you've got to go put the hit on this guy. So we would go put the hit on them, you know? And the deal was, we would knock at the door, and some woman would answer the door, and you could tell she was a potential and future Al-Anon. And and she would say, you guys from AA? And we'd say, yeah, and she always said the same thing. It's upstairs. (laughs) So we'd politely walk by her and get upstairs, and then the first job I had in Alcoholics Anonymous was Bedroom Observer. My sponsor would say, go sit in the corner. And I would sit in a corner, and I would watch him sit down next to the bed, and the bed would be going up and down, and the guy would be rattling around in there, and he would start to do his magic. And his magic consisted of carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And as he began to tell a little bit about himself and share that, you'd start to see the bed kind of quiet down. And eventually the guy would start to quiet down. And the guy would start to say things like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I felt that. And then I would get to see this bozo rise up out of that bed, if not that night, the next night, and come to one of our meetings. And so I don't have any doubt about whether Alcoholics Anonymous works because I saw it from the very beginning to the very end. I saw people come in from all kinds of disadvantaged situations, and they're staying here and they're staying sober because they're focused on the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is incumbent in the big book, which I'd show you if I had one, and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're not running around trying to do 10 other things, you know. They're not going to sex without partners. Uh you know, they're not doing that. Well hey, you guys haven't heard about that one, huh? I heard some of their meetings get out of hand, but hey, that's just uh that's just <laughs> I have no first hand knowledge. I just uh <laughs> And so we get to see this little guy and then It seemed like no matter where I went, they would know I was a newcomer, even though I wasn't wearing my wool suit. And so I took a 90 day token, and then after I took my 90 day token, I looked around the room one night, and here I had Ken and my little red tag, and I noticed that everybody else was wearing a blue tag. So I sat there and this resentment started to build. You know? And as soon as that meeting ended, the meetings used to be from 9 to 10 o'clock, you know, no soul saved after 10. So as soon as that meeting was over at 10, I jumped up to the secretary and I said, hey, I really got his attention. I said, how come I have a red name tag and everybody else has a blue name tag? And he said, "Oh, you're ready for a blue one." So he took it off, put a new one on, and I—that you know, was that. You, know. you just can't slip too much by me. And that's the way I got into AA, you know, and, and I started right from the get-go. And and you know if you're sitting here tonight, these steps are all very, very important. But there's one step in there, for some reason, that most people skip over. I don't know why, they don't do it intentionally, it's not a planned thing, it just seems to happen. And that's step 11. And I, and I say that because people are so busy doing all these other things that for some reason they don't feel the immediate urgency to do step 11 on a daily basis that they do some of the other steps. And you know what? A lot of those folks in sobriety have a breakdown. And they have a breakdown because they are not developing that conscious contact with God as they understand it. Notice it says conscious. You've always had contact with God. The idea now is to be aware of it, you know. I love it when people say God hasn't moved, I have. In my big book it says very clearly that as I became aware of his presence, as I became conscious of his presence I would begin to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. Burn into the consciousness of each man the fact that he can stay sober, wife or no wife, job or no job, you know, that kind of stuff. You will be definitely put into the consciousness of God if you do these simple things. See, it's not about God having gone anywhere. It's just about me rekindling the fact that he's there. It's a very, very simple process. And every day I have to allot time to do that. And you know what? I don't care who you are, but sooner or later in sobriety more than once, don't want to scare the newcomer, but you will be faced with a situation where your mind is totally irrelevant. Your reason has no ability to do anything. And at that point, you will either have a breakdown or a breakthrough. And if you're doing that 11 step, you're going to have that breakthrough. You're going to be rocketed into the fourth dimension. You're going to develop a vital sixth sense. You will intuitively know how to handle stuff. You notice all of this stuff bypasses the mind. The three words you never want to hear an alcoholic say is, I've been thinking. You know? It would scare, scare the devil out of most average type people. An alcoholic thinking is like going into a bad neighborhood, you know, like, no, 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 no. After you're here three or four or five years, depending on how quick you are in discovering your name tag, you'll begin to realize you have the right to ask your head where it's getting this information. You know, you will just know. You'll say, where are you getting that stuff? And the nice thing about it is, is that when you get that breakthrough, you'll no longer have to live within the framework of reason. And then when you've learned to live outside of reason, you can really get on with life because that's where it's happening. You know, there are those people who say to me like, Ken, you got to read this book and you got to read that book. And I say, no, no, I already have a book. And this book is good for me. And the reason it's good for me is because it deals with how I can do things, action things that will keep me well. You know i was there today and watched the gong show with frank and jack and i mean that's really sad you know kojak you know i was thinking kojak as frank was up there and 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 jack i was perceiving as being the poster child for incomprehensible demoralization like you know know, (laughs) but you get a chance to come and laugh and have fun and you should be laughing at you because we are you know like and uh And it's not until you realize that life is a joke and we're the punchline. And if you don't understand that punchline, you're missing the most important joke there is. I love people who say, I'm sober two years and I'm happy, joyous and free. And you say, man, why don't you tell your face, you know? (laughs) Don't you love those people? They look like they missed their calling. They should have been hemorrhoids, you
1: know.
0: (laughs) See now what you guys are doing is the healthiest thing in the world. You're laughing. And what I know about laughing is that several things that are real important. First of all, you cannot laugh and think at the same time. So every time you laugh, you're getting a respite from you. If there was a song for AA, it would be, I am always on my mind, I am always on my mind. The second thing you come to know about laughter after you hear a while is it's real healthy. It produces endorphins and endorphins bring oxygen into your body. It makes you real healthy. It fights pain. It makes you healthy. In fact, laughter is right up there with sex and jogging. Now, if you can run and have sex and sneak in a giggle. (laughs) giggling is a form of birth control in california (laughs) but you know i go to a lot of meetings and i'm sure you do too and the thing that i enjoy most is the fact that when you get there we all get to share. We allow people to share at every level in Alcoholics Anonymous, and the reason we do that is we know that sooner or later they'll forget themselves and tell the truth. You know? And when they do, it's almost like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> they want to get it back, rewind, rewind. You know, get it back, get it back. And, and and the nice part about it is is that you go and you listen to what people say, and they share their experience, strength, and hope. And what you come to find out is that what works for one person may be real good but if it's not the program it's not encumbered in those steps it's not Alcoholics Anonymous and that doesn't mean that it's not good it doesn't mean they're bad guys it just means it's not the program because sometimes you hear people say well I'm not doing good with the program because so and so said to do this and I'm not able to do that or I don't want to do that and so you have to get an owner's manual you have to get a copy of the big book and uh... And then once you get a copy of the Big Book, they'll do it at the real good meetings, they'll have one right there by the podium. Uh, once you get a copy of the Big Book, then you'll have your own owner's manual. Then you'll be able to read it and see what's in there rather than be counting on someone else to tell you things about it. Because you hear some of the darndest things like, well, in our area, it's like, no sex in the first year. <laughs> Is that in your big book? It's not in mine. I mean, I just gave up the biggest thing in my life. Now you want me to give up the second biggest thing? You keep the average alcoholic away from sex for a year, by the time he gets back to it, he'll forget who gets tied up. You know, that's just the way we are. And it doesn't say that in the big book. I'm not saying it won't work. I'm just saying it, it's not part of the big book, so therefore it's not part of the program. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, so I don't know a whole lot about that topic. In the Bible, it says that premarital sex is a sin. The way we did it in Brooklyn was a crime, you know like a, In my neighborhood, we all propose romantically with the same two words: "You're what?) <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> and that still has an impact on me today You know, you, you sometimes hear somebody say something And you zero in on it Like some guy said a couple of weeks ago He said, Ken, you don't know anything about sex Until you do it in front of a mirror So I read this book It says, In Action. So, thank you goes to show that guilt still still works at A.A.V. Yeah. Someday Hallmark is going to come out with a card that will say, guilt, the gift that keeps on giving. You know? <laughs> but this guy said, you don't know anything about sex until you do it in front of a mirror, so I tried it. I damn near wrecked the car. You know, like it was a... <laughs> oh yeah, you can laugh, you weren't there. You know? <laughs> And the thing that threw me off were those side-view mirrors. They said objects may appear larger than they really are. There was a guy, he wasn't in AA because he was too simple, but his name was Socrates. And someone once asked him about the definition for truth. And I know he didn't have an alcohol problem because he said, what is, is, and what is not, is not. (laughs) Next time you're at a meeting, ask the guy next to you, what's truth? (laughs) I hope you have a lunch. But the thing about truth is that it it sets you free and allows you to get on with life and you see what each one of these steps did for me is that it helped me destroy the fictional me that i had created you know fiction and truth cannot survive together something has to go and so the deal with me was as i went through those steps one at a time just as they mentioned it in the big book what started to happen was the me that i had created started to die and the me that was there all along began to just come to the fore you know i like to read in the big book right there at the end of where it talks about the consciousness of his presence it says we will be reborn it doesn't say we'll be born we'll be reborn meaning we were already okay when i was sent out from the home office i was okay then along the way people gave me a lot of unsolicited gifts (laughs) And a lot of those gifts caused me problems. And I ended up drinking because I either didn't accept myself the way I was or I thought I should have been more, whatever the deal was. And it doesn't even matter to me why I drank. The main thing now is I have a program that not only keeps me from having to drink, but enjoying being sober. I hear people say things like, Well, I don't drink today because I don't want to go back to this and that and that. And I understand that. I did the same thing maybe the first 10 or 15 years. Now I'm at that point where I don't drink because this is the very best it's ever been for me. And I don't want to give this up. You know, this is the very best it's been for me. I mean, I can't wait to get up in the morning and screw something up. You know, it's like uh, I don't want to lose my skills. And I go to meetings where people say things like, well, I don't want to try anything because I may make a mistake. We're counting on you making a mistake. The idea is not to do it more than six, 700 times. You know, I cut down on it. I've been all over this country and I've never seen a statue to a critic yet. So go out and do something. You know, do something. Columbus has his own day. He didn't know where he was twice. You know? Now we throw in a Monday. Good boy, Chris, you know. <laughs> Get involved in relationships. I'm sponsoring a guy now. He has me laughing all the time. I mean, this guy gets involved in these real possessive relationships. He's in one now where he doesn't even want to see a husband. I mean, it's like a... And I know how that goes, you know. <laughs> and everybody who laughed, did too. you know. Uh... And people think that, you know, the idea is that if I can't be by myself, somehow I'm less than what I should be if I'm by myself. You're never by yourself. Once you get here and you get in this program, you're never by yourself. You're always involved with other people in the program, and if the worst comes to worst in your home, in quotes alone, you're in good company because the power that's there with you will never lead you into harm. You know, I love this big book because it's so simple, and and they wrote it for guys like me. It says, when the alcoholic drinks, something happens. I mean, is that detailed or what? You know, let's ponder that for a moment. When the alcoholic drinks, something happens. I mean, you go into a bookstore today and there's how-to books, doo-doo-doo. you know. I saw one the other day. It says, Women Who Love Men Who Murder. And it's about all these women who are marrying guys who are on death row. I mean, uh, there are so-called normal people out there. I love it when I come to AA meetings and people say, well, there's us and then there's the normal people. Watch my lips. There are no normal people there are just folks who haven't shared with you yet <laughs> you know? I mean out in our area we were having people get shot on the, on the freeway in the LA area and the way the normal people adapted to it was with bumper stickers it says cover me I'm changing lanes you know <laughs> don't shoot this is my off-ramp you know that kind of stuff go look in the store what normal people are buying mint flavored dog biscuits <laughs> that's right i said mint flavored dog biscuits hey i want my dog to have good breath i'll put lavores in the toilet you know like a, I... <laughs> sober, the thing that I've enjoyed most is the fact that no matter where you're at, you're there. (laughs) And you read the book without changing one word. You just read it. You know, you don't read into it, you just read it. You know, I have a guy I sponsor, he's very, very intelligent. He can't stay sober, but he's very intelligent. And he reads stuff in that book that doesn't exist. He changes the words to meet the condition. You know, he leaves stuff out, adds stuff in. If you read that book wrong, it's like, well, it's like James Brown singing, you know? If James Brown had gone to a Ivy League school, he'd be singing something like, I feel well. It's not the same, is it? And that's the way it is when you change the big book. It, it's not the same. It's not gonna get you the same results. And the deal with me is that if I wanna get what the folks had who had the things that I want, then I gotta do the things that they did. And I was so sick when I got here, you won't believe this, but when I first got here, I was a whimper and a whiner. I used to call my sponsor and say, my wife is gone, he'd say, good. (laughs) I'd say, I can't see my kids, he said, lucky for them. (laughs) I'm going to jail, that's where you belong, you know. (laughs) I had a habit when I was drinking of finding things before people officially lost them, you know. And I used to get into these barrooms entanglements where I would question somebody's ancestry or they would question mine and uh, go to the emergency room. But I would call him and tell him my tale of woe and and he would say things like, you know, can maybe you'll get lucky tonight and die and he'd hang up. I couldn't wait to share everything with him, you know. But the deal was, is he was so busy living life that he wanted me to get involved with living life too. And we just started going and doing things. And you know, I have overcome fears by doing actions that had I just had to face the fear directly, I'd never overcome it. I just did the moment and in doing the moment I was overcoming something and doing something that I had never been able to do before just by doing the now and doing the now is the most important thing here we talk about our primary purpose our primary purpose is to stay sober you can only do that when I love you (laughs) and then the other thing is there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him? You guys are terrific. You can, you are, right. let's close in the usual way. You, know, you guys know it all, see? See, God doesn't exist for me yesterday or tomorrow. God is in the moment. This is the only chance I get to meet God. And I don't want to blow that chance. And sometimes I meet him through a drunk. Some bozo gets in my car and I'm praying that he won't throw up. And every problem I had before that is gone, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, Lord, please don't let him throw up. <laughs> and that's what, that's what happens. See, that's why the twelve step was so important for me to observe, because when my spiritual candle went out, something happened with my ability to love. I don't know. It just happened. And when I went on 12 step calls, two things happened. Number one was, I began to develop a love for people I didn't even know, simply because they were going through what I was going through. And the second thing was, every 12 step call that I've been on has been devoid of financial profit. And being devoid of financial profit, once you take all the material out of it, all that's left is the spiritual. And the deal was is that sitting across from this bozo and having him tell me what was going on with his life and no material gain to be made, number one, helped me to learn to love. And number two, helped me to grow spiritually. And it happened very gradually. It wasn't like this thing just happened to me. It happened very gradually. I have the kind of mind that, you know, I just am, am like lost at times. Maybe you guys are like that, too. My mom used to say, drunk or sober, you're no day at the beach, you know. And that's the way I am. I, you know, I, I just don't know where all these ideas come from. Sometimes it's like I'm in here and I'm saying, do these other folks see these strobe lights or, you know, am I hanging out here alone? And God has continually played the role in my life to help me grow. And my sponsor said to me, you are a wild man. And if you stay in Alcoholics Anonymous and take these steps, you will still be a wild man, but you'll be a disciplined wild man. He said, you'll be on the outside as crazy as you've ever been, but on the inside, you'll grow very, very peaceful. And you know, that's happened to me. I'm on the outside real, real crazy. There are some people who look at me and say, you know, your homeowners won't cover Ken, you know? (laughs) And they're right. But on the other side of that, on the inside now, I'm very, very still. I've learned something here that I never knew existed before, and that's actionless action. Just taking the action without trying to predict the results, and being very active on the outside, but very still on the inside. And you know, it would be like today, I see things that I never saw before because I'm not preoccupied with my mind. There's a guy who wrote in this book, and he wrote a variety of spiritual experience, and his name is William James. And I didn't know a whole lot about William James, so I decided to read a little bit about him. And I won't bore you with a whole lot about William James, except for the fact that he first became a medical doctor and he taught at Harvard, and it was his belief that if you could understand the body, you could understand everything. And then he came to the realization that that was not the answer. So he went on to become a psychologist. And his deal was is that if he could understand the mind, then you'd be okay. And then finally, one of the books that he wrote which is not mentioned in our big book is called beyond reason and in that book he talked about the fact that if you were going to live in this world and be happy at some point you were going to have to go beyond reason and we incorporated part of that into this big book because we say things like you can cross so far over the bridge with reason but if you want to touch down on the other shore you have to go on faith and that takes some time that takes some time because the only way you can develop an ability to have faith is to stop thinking and for most people they don't want to stop thinking because if they stop thinking they'll have faith and they'll get real scared you know people always want to know the answer i love it when i sit at a table and people say what's going to happen i say i have no idea I have absolutely no idea. But you know what? I've been here long enough to know it's gonna be okay. I have no idea how it's gonna be okay. I don't even have a clue how it's gonna be okay. But it's gonna be okay. You know why? Because it's always been okay. It's always worked out without me knowing how to work it out. And it's as long as I stay in the now. I always tell the guys I sponsor with, with that there's no there or then. There's only here and now. When you get to there and then, it's here and now. So just worry about here and now. Don't worry about there and (laughs) then. And then we talk about this guy Socrates and truth. And I tell him, you know, I know a few things about truth that are real important. One is it's always simple. If you have to explain it eight or 10 times, it's not truth. Truth is real simple. The second thing I know about truth is it comes all at once. It doesn't come on the installment plan. One minute you're in darkness, boom, the next minute you know. You know you know, but you can't explain you know, because you don't know what you know. You just know you know. And the third thing about it is it's always paradoxical. I love that word, paradoxical. Newcomers come in, you know, they have that newcomer look in their eyes, and you start talking to them about truth, and they say, How do you win? You say, surrender. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) How do you keep it? You give it away. (laughs) You can pull this on guys who have red name tags. (laughs) Then they say, I've lost everything and I'm left with nothing. I always tell them, you know, that's what I used to say, because I was stupid. <laughs> See, I didn't know the difference between everything and nothing. Because when I first got here, the everything that I lost, that I talked about, turned out to be nothing. And the nothing that I was left with has turned out to be everything. And so I started down this path that other people have lit for me with their candles. And I started doing the steps and reading the big book and going to meetings and I got on with life. As my friend Stu said today, let's get on with life. Life's in session. And that's what life is all about for me today. It's being a verb. I don't want to talk about life. I want to learn about living. And I learn about living by living. You know how I learn about love? By loving not to talk about it like it's some theoretical concept I love guys that you're at meetings and they try to define God and they try to define love and I say it's a waste of time because if you can define it you limit it and you can't limit God he's too good to be limited and you can't limit love it's too boundless to be limited so no matter what you say about it there's always something left unsaid and that's the way it is And AA meetings are like that. You know, you get up there, and I don't know where else you can go where a guy will get up and say, this is blue, it always has been blue, it always will be blue, and that's what I believe. And he sits down. Next guy gets up and he said, this is red, it always has been red, always will be red, and that's what I believe, and he sits down. And they sit next to each other. And one guy gets up to get a coffee, he says, you want a coffee? Can you imagine that in a bar room? Some way your mother would come into that. You know, it'd be very ugly, you know, it'd be, uh... <laughs> it seemed like every time I ended up in an emergency room, it was always over something that I thought I knew. That was so important that it was worth getting punched out behind. You know, I love to tell a little story, and it's a little story that shows how things change and grow in Alcoholics Anonymous. It would be like if all the caterpillars got together and they had a convention right here in Waikiki and all the other caterpillars came in from all the other islands. Take them a while. (laughs) And when they got here, all they talked about was their perspective of life. We crawl around on the ground and we see life real ugly and we're close to everything that's bad in life. And then we die. And then one of the caterpillars who has taken the steps and has had a spiritual experience, he says, you guys are wrong. See, what happens is at the moment that we think we die, we don't die. We become butterflies and we become something very, very beautiful and we get to fly above the ground and we get to see everything from a whole new perspective and we get to in, inhale life in a way that we've never inhaled it before. The old timers poke each other and say, he's in denial. He's in denial. He's on a pink cloud. Yeah, he'll come down off of that. Yeah. Because, as my friend Chuck C. used to say, you can't see it till you can see it. And you can't hear it until you can hear it. And it's amazing to me how many times I've been in a situation and I couldn't hear it or see it. And over the past several years I've gotten to hear and to see things that I never knew existed. And each one of those things has led me on to something else. I can just tell you from my experience that nothing bad has ever happened in my life. Nothing bad. I couldn't tell you that when I was going through it i couldn't tell you that at the moment of impact but i can tell you now because each thing that has happened to me has led me to another spot which i wouldn't have gotten to had i not gone through that experience and that's what we share here our experience strength and hope not our philosophy and opinions our experience i went through this this is what i did with it you know, you can try it your way. And, and, and that's why I love to go to meetings because you get to hear so many diverse opinions of the same thing. We have a fellow, which some of the folks in the room know, he's passed away now, Louis. Louis came into program when he was 50. He lived to be 89. He was 39 years sober. And I used to go to meetings and people would have all these big discussions like, uh, how do you make a decision? Well, I inventory it. I call my sponsor. I go to seminars. I nah, Then they'd call on Lewis. And Lewis would get up and he'd reach in his pocket and he'd take out a silver dollar and he'd say, "When I have a decision to make, I flip it. Heads, I do it this way. Tails, I do it that way. I'm 39 years sober. I can live with it either way." <laughs> and then he'd go sit down and then we'd have this psycho-dribble for another 20 minutes or so. (laughs) But the deal is for me is that no matter what's going on, all I have to do is the next indicated thing. I don't have to figure anything out. And as long as I stay in the now, it tends to happen real, real easy. And as long as I keep an open mind. I don't know about you guys, but I had trouble letting go of a lot of old ideas a lot of old ideas you know i was kind of like i had the mentality of that miner you know he's coming through town and he's got his pack mule and an alcoholic comes out of the bar and he says to the miner do you know how to dance and the miner says no sir i don't he says well you better learn he takes out his six guns and he starts to fire and after he fires both guns the guns go click click at which point the miner reaches over and pats his mule and pulls out a shotgun. And he said, "Do you ever kiss a mule's ass? And the alcoholic not missing a beat said, no, but I always wanted to, you know, that's a, you know, that's the kind of mindset that you need. That's exactly the kind of mindset that you need to get you here. And then after you're here, it it doesn't matter what goes on. You know, my friend Neil and I were talking before the meeting about when you get up in the morning. And at one time in my life, I had four years in a state institution where I had access to a lot of reading. And one of the things I, that wasn't kind either. And one of the things I read was that 98% of the people who die in this country die laying down. So when my alarm goes off in the morning, I get up. Is that clever or what? And as soon as I'm up, I want to get on with life. So I sleep in the buff. And in my room, there's a full-length mirror. And as soon as I get up in the morning, I take out my trampoline. And I get on it. And I put on my little tape with the theme from Rocky. And when I told this story in Greeley, Colorado a few years ago, they gave me a Stetson cowboy hat, so I put that Stetson on. And I jump up and down on that trampoline in the buff to the theme from Rocky. Dun, 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 you know, and I start out my morning laughing at me. <laughs> Catch up with you guys later on, you know? And then you have people ask these heavy questions. A lady in Nebraska said, Did you ever hurt yourself? And I said, No, ma'am. We have a loving God. That's why he invented duct tape. You just put that baby on there and off you go. (laughs) You won't be able to touch a roll of duct tape in Waikiki for a week, you know? It's about getting out and having some fun and remembering how to laugh. You know, the reason we don't have anyone that can take over Alcoholics Anonymous is because we are happy, joyous, and free. You cannot control happy people. You can only control miserable people, you know? Let's go to another seminar, you know? (laughs) Don't you love it? We got a book that costs less than six bucks, has all the answers you need, but no, let's travel somewhere and spend thousands of dollars. (laughs) It's like watching someone get thrown from a horse and as they're falling to the ground, they grab hold of the stirrup. And instead of letting go, they start going around the Kmart parking lot, you know? (laughs) And those of us who love and care for them are yelling out as they pass by, let go. Please, let go. And they'll spend two, three grand on a seminar on how to enjoy the ride, you know? And if you ever get confused in life, just turn down the volume. The al have a great piece of literature. It's called America Round of Denial. And in that it says, you know, don't watch his lips. <laughs> Honey, you're in big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Turn down the volume. The actions don't lie. The reason that silent movies were so successful for so long is that everybody could follow the action. You know, if someone hits you over the head with a shovel and then ties you up to a railroad track, chances are they're not trying to help you in life, you know? (laughs) Now you have to be careful because there are people who can do that and at the same time I say, I love you, I love you, I love you, <laughs> and then you call your sponsor and say, is he telling me the truth? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I look around this room and, and I'm reminded of when I was a couple of months ago flying to Amarillo. You cannot explain Alcoholics Anonymous to anyone unless they're in it, you know, you, they don't understand. I was on a plane going into Dallas, Texas, and then I was going to go speak in Amarillo, which meant I had to change planes and go on. And we were going to be late landing. And they announced we were going to be late. And the fellow sitting next to me said, "Where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to an alcoholics anonymous convention," which got his attention real fast. <laughs> and he said, "What are you going to do there?" I said, "I'm going to speak." He said, "How many people are going to be there?" I said, "Oh, 3 or 4,000." He said, are you gonna make it? I said, no. I want the newcomers to catch up. He said, what will they do? I said, anybody in the room can give the talk. I knew I had him. So we went just a little bit further. And he said, can I ask a question? <laughs> I said, sure, partner. <laughs> he said, why would they bring you all the way over from San Diego to speak in Amarillo if they have 4,000 people who are already there who can give the same talk? <laughs> I said, that's just the way they do
1: it.
0: <laughs> See, people have trouble with that. You know? that's because the world's turned upside down, you know, like, I was talking to a buddy of mine who lives in New York, and he tells me that Domino's gets to your house faster now than the police. <laughs> he goes out of town a lot, he told his wife, if you ever hear anybody breaking in, an call Domino's and get a plain cheese, you know, like, uh, at least you'll have some 18-year-old kid looking for a tip there, like, <laughs> who might the criminal you know (laughs) but that's the world we live in I mean this is the way it's going on and I come to meetings because meetings are like speed bumps they slow me down and they get me to see that what I'm hearing on the news and think I'm observing sometime in the world is really not what's going on at all that what's really going on is what's going on talking tricky. <laughs> it's like I love to say that when we're born, we're all put on the path of becoming human. See, people think we're born human. We have to become human. You have to come to find out in Alcoholics Anonymous that we all swim in the same water. It doesn't make any difference what you look like or what your background is. We all swim in the same water here, and the whole idea is not to pollute that water. And it's a real simple concept, real, real simple concept. And we have to grow into that. Like when a rhinoceros is born, he's already reached the quintessence of rhinocerosity. (laughs) I wish Sister Callista could hear me now. But the deal is, is that I had to learn everything that I didn't know in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I had to learn it from people who were patient with me and understood that I didn't already know it. I looked up the word education one time because I always had trouble with it. And the word education means to draw out. Therefore, whatever we have of value is already there. We just need someone to draw it out. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, you get someone to help you draw it out. And they get it to you in a simple way through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a chapter in here called Working with Others. And I love to read that chapter. And the reason I love to read it is because it reminds me of how gentle this program really is meant to be. There are three nevers in that chapter that I make people highlight if we're going to work together. And the first never is you never criticize. What makes us of extreme value to one another is our drinking experience. So we never criticize. The second never is we never talk down to anyone as though we're on some spiritual or moral hilltop, because we ain't, we ain't. And the third never is you never force yourself on another alcoholic, never. And the reason that this book is so great And the reason that other people have found it so great that they now emulate it is the fact that it very simply allows you to come in contact with a God of your own understanding that is all-powerful and that has the solution for your problem. See, I didn't know who had the solution for my problem. It became quite obvious that I didn't. And I read in this book that no human power could have relieved my alcoholism but God could and would if he was sought, and all I had to do was go about seeking. And I love that part where it says, he wants us to walk with our heads in the clouds with him, but our feet firmly planted on the ground so as to be of value to another human being. This is not about becoming so spiritual that you're useless. This is about getting involved in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and becoming very, very functional very very functional being there when someone reaches out and being there just to let them know you're there in 1981 i went through a divorce after being married 22 years my wife and i had gotten back together we went through 10 years together and then we went through this divorce and i was put in a position of going out to date again and that was a very interesting phenomena you know, it's, not, it's easy to date when your songs are I'm just two six-packs away from loving you, you know? <laughs> Throw a saddle on the stove, we're riding the range tonight, you know, like that? And I'll never forget the first woman that invited me out to dinner and I finally went, I bought candy and flowers and I showed up there because that's the way I thought you had to do it. That's the way I thought it was. And she opened the door and she began to laugh, gently. And she said, God love you. You're Ricky Nelson in a John Travolta world. (laughs) And when I grew up, they were playing these great songs like, till the end of time, I'll be loving you always. Now I was getting ready to go date and they were playing songs like beat it, whip it, choke it, kill it, come on to step on it, you know. <laughs> and I wasn't too sure I wanted to find out what they were talking about, <laughs> you know. But it was another part of life. And then in 1983 I had an intuitive thought and I signed up to work with the hospice program in San Diego. And I began to work with people who were terminally ill. And we don't take you in the hospice program in San Diego unless you're diagnosed to live six months or less. And so I knew I was gonna be working with people who would have a different outlook than I had, I thought. And my God, you know, I don't know about your God, but my God does bank shots sometimes just to show off. You know, he leads me to believe I'm gonna do this. And he goes, (laughs) it's gonna happen that way, you know? And so, I thought I was going to start doing something that would be a little bit different from Alcoholics Anonymous. So I went through this training, and the very first guy they sent me out to see was a 71-year-old who was dying of lung cancer, who only had two or three months to live, supposedly. And he told me that he was, well, he was very angry, and I kept asking him what he was angry about, and he didn't want to share it. And finally, I got him to share it. And he said, I'm 39 years sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I should have gotten a cake, and I'm so weak from this morphine, I I can't last till nighttime to go get a cake. And I said, wow. That's what I say at the group level. Actually, I said, no, and it was a four letter word, began with S, ended with T. And I said, no, wow and i said stanley i'm 11 years sober and he said no wow (laughs) so i said load up on that morphine and i'll take you to a noontime meeting (laughs) so he loaded up and i took him to a noontime meeting and i got the privilege of giving him a 39 year cake And Stanley lived another year. And I got to give him a 40-year kick. See, man doesn't make those calls. And I have guys who call me on the phone, whimpers and whiners. she's leaving. Ken, <laughs> I lost my job. <laughs> So I used to say, come on over. We'll spend some time together, but I have a commitment to this guy. So I'd get him in my car. I learned that from al and, and I'd take him down to see Stanley. And we'd go in and see Stanley. And by that time, Stanley had had a colostomy and he had tubes running in and out of him and he was on oxygen. And I'd say, Stanley, this guy's having trouble with the program. Stanley would whip that oxygen mask off And he'd say, wow, are we lucky Sober and Alcoholics Anonymous Is God beautiful? Is this a great program or what? He'd go on for a minute till the oxygen ran out <laughs> Then he'd put the oxygen on And start to go back to breathing And we'd visit with him from 45 minutes to an hour And then when we leave, we'd get out in the hall and I'd look at this bozo and say, now tell me about your problems. (laughs) You know? This book is a real, real good book. On pages 132 and 133 in this book, it talks about being happy, joyous, and free. It talks about us absolutely insisting on enjoying life. It talks about the newcomer coming in and seeing us laughing. That's what keeps them coming back. How can they be laughing? Aren't they listening to what the other people are sharing? You know? <laughs> and it says very clearly, God doesn't make our misery. We make our own misery. You know, in the business world, they, they have a deal. They call it the hidden agenda. It's when two people are talking and they don't know what the agenda is. And one of them has a hidden agenda. In the hospice program, they talk about the new agenda. See, whatever problem you think you have right at this moment, right at this moment, or series of problems as you perceive them, they would be drastically altered, if not eliminated, if tomorrow someone told you you only had two or three months to live. Which should clue anybody into the fact that what I perceive to be a big problem isn't a problem at all if I could throw it out the window tomorrow. So it's all perception. This is all perception. It's about the guy who has no arms and no legs and he shows up at the house of ill repute. And the madam answers the door and she says, just what do you think you're gonna do? And he said, I rang the bell, didn't I? very, very gentle with those newcomers because among them are a lot of bell ringers, you know and I see Cindy and all the young folks who have come along and and AA is in good hands AA is in good hands the guys who went tonight, Bill and Mary, with 40 years they lit up the path for us, those of us who are passing now are lighting up the path for those who come after us as long as we adhere to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and don't hurt one another, we're all going to be okay. They had a fellow who won the Nobel Peace Prize speak in L.A. a few years back, the Dalai Lama, and it cost a hundred bucks to go listen to him at the forum. And people drove in from all over and they thought, now we're really going to hear something. And they had all these motivational speakers speak in front of them. And then finally the Dalai Lama and the place got real, real quiet. And this guy, about late 50s, came out and he said, our primary reason for being on this earth is to help one another. And then he turned around and started to walk away. (laughs) And then as though he had an afterthought, he came back to the mic and he said, some of us, because of our current natures, cannot do this. So our primary purpose is not to hurt anyone. And then he went and sat down. You could tell all the people who were not in AA. (laughs) I paid a hundred bucks for this, I drove up, (laughs) I'm not gonna get home till two in the morning, and he said, and all these guys said was, if you can help, help, and if you can't, don't hurt. Deep See, they wanted the dolly to... (laughs) Dolly's not into that. It gets real, real peaceful here once you understand that there's nothing to be achieved. It's just about living life and being you. And being you is enough. Just become the best you you can be. And if you're the best you you can be, that's more than enough. It always has been. I don't know who ever sold us that wasn't but it always has been, and then you get to enjoy. And if you ever get confused, watch the kids. They know what's going on. Back in San Diego, we have Coronado, and whenever anybody gets in trouble, I send them out there to watch the kids play. And the kids are playing on the beach, and Johnny goes over and he kisses Susie. She pushes him in the water. He doesn't get up feeling worthless, you know? He does an inventory. He doesn't even have a sponsor. He just goes, kisses Mary. And he keeps sucking face till he catches on somewhere, you know? Like. And kids just intuitively know that. You kids have great answers. I said to a kid, why are you scratching your head? He said, I'm the only one who knows it itches. They're right in the moment. They're not figuring anything out. And when you get into this big book and you start to read it and you incorporate it into your life, you'll be surprised. You'll hear stuff that other people will say, and you'll say something not knowing where it came from. I was in the Lucky Market shopping a couple of weeks ago, and and I heard a kid say to his grandmother, Gramps, is there a God? And without even turning around, I said, read the chapter to the agnostic. And You know, get right on going. And you even get in touch with animals. I always had a fear of dogs. I always seemed to be trying to get into places that they were protecting. (laughs) And so I've been bitten a few times. And then you gotta take tetanus and I'm allergic to that so I'd always get the shingles. So dogs and me were not real popular with one another. And a couple of years ago, I was driving down the road in the the car and it was a hot day in in August in, in San Diego, the temperature over 100. And I looked in my rear view mirror and there was a Rettweiler chasing after me. Now, if you don't know what a Rettweiler is, that's a Doberman on steroids, you know, like I <laughs> And so I, I pulled over to the side of the road and this dog came running up alongside of me and I pushed down the window and he was <laughs> And I looked at him and I said, what now? he cocked his head and he looked back at me and just for that moment we were on the same wavelength see that dog knew that I had chased after a lot of crap in my life having no idea what I was going to do when I caught him so so we were like right there real mellow I let him catch his breath and I said hang in there brother and off I went. Now, if you follow me around, I may look a little funny, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm living life and I'm living life because I've learned something about living in Alcoholics Anonymous. And to me today, there's no separation. It isn't about I have a life and I have AA I have AA, and therefore I have everything that life has to offer. And I get a chance to live day to day, moment to moment, totally in the now, and I don't have to figure out anything. This is not about figuring out anything. This is just about getting up in the morning and having some fun and going to bed at night and thanking God for the fun for that day. And knowing that, you know, uh, if you look at it, If you live to be 75, which I hope to do minimum, and you sleep eight hours a day, which I do, I will have slept 25 years. And some force that doesn't have to be described takes care of me eight hours out of every day when I am totally oblivious to what's going on. So my deal is, why not turn the other 16 hours over to that same force and just get on, and just get on. I, I know there's a dance coming up. I don't want to keep you any longer. You've been very, very nice to me. I want to tell you two things, and then I'm going to sit down real fast. The first is, is that I had a friend who used to come to my house. He was a little Indian fella, Harish. And Harish was from Pune, and he died a year or so ago and when he came into my home he always used to say namaste and namaste means the God in me recognizes the God in you and although we may have surface differences we could never hurt any each other because the God in me recognizes the God in you and my mom used to tell this story which sums up all of my spiritual experience she used to talk about this boy Johnny And Johnny used to go to a parochial school, and they always built the parochial schools next to the church. That's the way they did it. It was a captive audience. And Johnny would go in there every day, and he would kneel down, and he'd say, Hello, God, this is Johnny. I just want to tell you I'm here. And then he'd boogie. And he went there weekends and holidays and summer vacations. And that was his whole spiritual program. And my mom said when he got to be 12 years old, he was dying of polio. And he was in a room, and he was surrounded by his friends and chums. And a voice was heard to say, Hello, Hello Johnny. This is God. I just want to tell you, I'm here. And that's the whole purpose of being on this earth. Whenever anyone, anywhere, in or out of the program reaches out, one of us will be there. And it doesn't make any difference who it is. We all have the same message. There's a 13-step dance. I hope you have picked out your... I hope you have picked out your targets. Don't look for Miss Wright. Look for Miss Wright now. Maybe even Miss Perhaps. Take good care of one another. We're only on loan. I want to thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart Not for just giving me the years of my life, but giving me life in each year. Namaste. God bless you.